Wreckers, we're about to set out on a mission that may very well be some of your last. We have some new members in our ranks, so get to know each other. Each of us will state their name and what they transform into. Start us off, you there. Yes, sir. The name's Puncher. I transform into a motorcycle, sir. Hard drive. Nuclear submarine, sir. Rotator. Helicopter, sir. Joystick. Wheelchair, sir. Convey. Whoa, hold up. You say wheelchair? It's a big chair, sir. Firepower like you've never seen, sir. Uh, okay, uh, who's next? Conveyor. I'm a stationary bike, sir. Whoa, 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 what? Um, you can't even move around, then? No, sir, but it's a bit cooler than a wheelchair, sir. Oh, oh okay. Uh, Rover. Concrete mixer, sir. Is that with the truck or just the mixer? Just a really big mixer, J sir. Just the mixer, okay. Auto driver. Funicular, sir. Cool stuff. I'm a minibus, sir. Blimp. I'm a, a blimp, sir. Sergeant, contact command. Tell them we'll have a few more casualties than we usually do this time around. Welcome to the Culture Quest podcast. Today in Tavern Talk, we'll be discussing our favourite toys as kids, and then we'll jump into the main discussion where we cover a Transformers comic book, The Last Stand of the Wreckers. And then I'll introduce the topic of next episode, Radiohead's Kid A. Hello and welcome to the Culture Quest. We are but humble adventurers, and today we jump all the guns. With me, as always, are Peter. Hello. And Barrio. Hello. And I am Inan. Thank you, the listeners at home, for taking part in our noble quest. Do you want me to, to later edit your hellos to sound like robots? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Today, we're going to discuss the Transformers' last stand of the records, a five-issue comic series from 2010 by Nick Roche and James Roberts. This is going to be our second discussion about a comic book series. The first one, of course, was about All-Star Superman, so we'll see if we've taken something from that experience. And before we do that, we like to enjoy a bit of tavern talk. Alright, so this episode's Tavern Talk was inspired by the main discussion. Since its inception in the mid-80s, the Transformers franchise was well known for its uh, line of toys and action figures. So when I was looking at stuff about the Transformers, I couldn't avoid looking at a bunch of toys and action figures and stuff. I, I, I really hope people don't get annoyed at me because I call these toys. I mean it in the nicest way. So anyway... That got me thinking about toys from my childhood and collecting toys and stuff like that. So, did you have any, like, favorite toys that you can remember uh, today? Yeah, as a kid, I always thought action figures were pretty cool. There's something like having, like, a working edition of, you know, the main character of whatever show or movie you kind of liked. But I never really got into it in terms of, like... Like, I like the Hot Wheels and, like, Matchbox cars and stuff like that. But I never got into sort of, like, paraphernalia, like, stuff of movies and stuff like that. Because, one, I was a pretty uncultured kid. Like, I'd never seen, like, all the movies and stuff like that. I just kind of just existed. And, um, we, you know, as a kid, when you think you're an adult and you have, like, disposable income, you're just going <laughs> to go to the candy shop and just buy all the candy. Mm, yep. Well, <laughs> I kind of didn't past that phase like as an adult i'm still i still do that so basically like whatever shit i see i will buy so that's led me to get like you know okay i know you know about them anon but 
Barrio, do you know about those tiny little figurines? They're like they're called like pop figures, and they're like these little plastic figurines oh. with like black eyes. Funko Pops. Yeah, well, they they don't have like wiggly heads. They're just like yeah. big headed. Yeah, exactly. Well, those are like my bane of existence because, <laughs> like, they're so stupid and so ridiculous. But like, for instance, I I just watched the Harry Potter movies and I saw like some Harry Potter ones and I'm like, oh, you know, it would be really cool. I buy these and I'll give them to my friends and then we'll all have like something to remember the time we watched all the movies. So yeah, I I've got one that's like a Harry Potter. I've got a.、Um, Is it the one with like the black robes and a like a orange and red scarf? Okay, so、um, I've got one with him in the third movie,、um, holding his firebolt. I've got one in his red Quidditch robes, and I've got one holding the Marauders map. Oh wow! So, so only one in his robes. When he's holding the firebolt, he, firebolt,、yeah. he's in his normal robes. But yeah, I've also got the John McClane from my favorite movie, Die Hard. I've got him, <laughs> and I've also got a Captain America one. It's it's a it's a problem because I don't know why, but there's this this evil company like printing things they know people want that like I like buying them and I also dislike buying them because I know it's just like stu- it's just money down the drain <laughs> and it's just something you don't need. I f- I feel like there's just like they're like exploiting me, you know. <laughs> I have this like one weakness and they're just like <laughs> pressing on it, you know. <laughs> so. I don't have a very good relationship with merchandise. In fact, I hate movies that just try to make a movie just so they can sell the toys. That always seems a bit dishonest. But yeah, so love hate relationship with toys. So you have like five of these Funko Pops. Yeah, five, yeah. five is an honest quantity. I mean, it's not a lot. Like it can be a lot worse, I guess. Yeah, exactly what I was gonna say because like having five is like having. A thousandth of what they have. They have over a thousand of these. They have characters from books and from movies and from、uh, video games. And for, for they have a, like a series of rock stars. They have everything you can think of. Not everything you can think of and on, because I am still waiting on my Led Zeppelin ones. Where are、oh. the Led Zeppelin、Whoa. ones? It's in the same breath. I, in the same breath, I will say. Wait, I got to take a big breath. I wish they didn't make any more of these. Yet I still want a four pack of Jimmy Page, John Paul Jones, <laughs> John Bonham, and Robert Plant. Like, I why? Why? How? How can I want those two things? That's yeah. <laughs> I I have to say they're really cute. I don't have any of those,、so、but、cute. I keep seeing them, and they're really cute. But I just the fact that they have one for everything just makes them uncool to me. I don't know. I was almost gonna buy you guys one each. And ship them to Israel because、Aww. they made a Freddie Mercury in 1986. Yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna buy them, but like couldn't figure out、That's、how. So cute! So, I, I've seen、them. that one. It's really fucking cute. It's so good. <laughs> but I have to say, they have like those big heads and big eyes, and some of them don't work with those big eyes. Like I think there's a Bulbasaur one from Pokemon that that that、oh, just、yeah. looks creepy. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Funko Pop. I never did, though. I do really understand the appeal. I mean, they're Horribly, they're really horribly cute. cute, yeah, and the fact that there are so many and and for everything, from cartoons and action movies and drama movies and from real life, like I I think I、yeah. saw like a Kevin Smith one. Yeah, he has a few. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine 
meeting someone with a whole room full full of them. So it could be worse, Peter. Um, yeah. But, but uh, like from my childhood, does Lego count? Yeah. yeah. Like I still love Lego. In in my office, we got like this Lego wall, and I keep stealing blocks from it and just play with them at, at my desk. You know, building random stuff <laughs> i'm missing parts like i i feel that i i need more parts like i need wheels and i need something <laughs> something that things that can move like basically yeah. and i think like a couple of years ago i i, I played legos with with some kid i don't remember exactly maybe where we were um <laughs> part i don't remember exactly did you but pick like, up a I, kid from the street to play legos yeah just so just so I'll, i won't feel so in, infantile it's like a government stimulus package <laughs> where they just where they need to like put one kid per street that loves legos yeah <laughs> and i started with helping him and then just i opened my own project and built this <laughs> really cool spaceship and i was so proud of that's it that's how you know you're in the world because people come over to your house to play the lego as long as you're going to other people's houses and all the big boxes and stuff is with them i feel like spiritually you're okay but as soon as people are like oh can we go to your house to play with all the legos man then you know you're in deep shit <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know i think that's that's like exactly my my childhood because i never had a lot of of legos the the popular kid was always the one with with enough legos in his house like mm. i remember wanting to go to some kid's house as a child not as an adult <laughs> yeah. so as a kid I, i wanted like i remember there was this kid i, I didn't really like but he had boxes on top of boxes of, of Legos. <laughs> He was a horrible kid, but awesome Legos. <laughs> I, I do remember, like, other than Legos, there were two cartoons I, I, I remember. One is probably very well known, the X-Men cartoon. And I think I had Iceman, and I really liked him. And then, mm. foolishly, I brought him to the pool and lost it, because he's transparent <laughs> and kind of bluish and... That's exactly <laughs> the thing that will get That's lost. That's a perfect storm. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and it was this, you know, like I remember it <laughs> about 20 years after that it was traumatic enough. <laughs> and the other things, I wanted to ask you guys if you know it, but there was another TV series called uh, Gargoyles, mm. which was like a pretty dark cartoon. I've never heard of it. They were like, they were moving on. Throughout the nights, I think, but then when the sun came up, they turned to stone, so they had to go back to where they were perched. Yeah, they, they're really powerful and they can fly, but their weakness is that they, they become yeah. stone. And there are good gargoyles and there are bad gargoyles and, and uh, you know, there's magic and there's this uh, police detective. Yeah, I kind of remember it. The green one, the, he's kind of good. I think I had a toy, uh, like his toy, yeah. and I really liked, really liked it. That's cool. Yeah. So when we first discussed talking about toys, I kind of tried to remember what toys I, I had and like what were my favorites and not many came to mind. But then I had this kind of a flashback that so when I was very young, like, I don't know, maybe four, I had this blue gray kind of truck that I used to play with. And I'm saying it was weird because it was it, it was built weird. Like it wasn't obviously a truck. It, it had wheels and everything, but... You know, you had to kind of imagine it a bit. And could it 
Could it transform somehow? So, you know, later when I was a bit older, like maybe when I was 10 or 12, you know, we had all of our toys, uh, you know, kind of an assortment of toys in boxes in my uh, youngest brother's room. And sometimes, you know, I'd play with them and with my brothers, with the toys. And this one time we played with this blue-gray truck and we noticed that there was this square thing on the bottom of it. And when you pressed it, you know, you could move things around a bit, but maybe because it was old, but it was really kind of stuck, you know, you had to kind of force things to move around. So we forced it a bit, and inside somewhere, there, there was this robot's face. So I, I don't think I saw that in years and years. Like, I don't know where it is now, but I think I did used to have a Transformer toy. Hmm. And this makes some sense because I mentioned it in our last episode, like when I introduced the subject. And when I was like three or four in, in the early 90s, I used to watch a Transformers TV show. And, and, you know, I had a few VHS tapes of it. And it's really possible th- th- that my parents got me a toy to go along with it. So I, I totally think I used to have a Transformer or maybe a Transformer knockoff. Mm. Do you remember, maybe, I- I'm pretty sure like a toy that we both had was uh, one of the Power Rangers with this rotating head. Yeah. There must have been a fire sale of those Power Rangers toys because I feel like everyone had those Power Rangers toys. <laughs> There's just something... Like, because I swear no one was talking about the Power Rangers. And, like, they will yeah. talk about it now because of nostalgia reasons, but, like, just everyone had the toy. It was must have been, like, given out or something when you had, like, your flu shot. <laughs> yeah. And there was another toy I kind of wanted to bring up, even though it has nothing to do with, like, a movie or a TV show or anything. But when I was, like, 10 or 12, my dad was in America for business or something. And when he came back, he got us a bunch of toys. And there was one that I was really excited about, but it really, really disappointed me. It, it, it was supposed to be really cool and really practical and really fun. The toy was these night vision goggles, you know, kind of like this VR headset that you put over your head. And on the back of the strap, there was this battery compartment and they were supposed to let you see in the dark, you know, like kind of like goggles you see in movies or something, like mm. army goggles or something. So we got them and we were so excited about them. So we immediately kind of, you know, closed all of the shades and blinds in our house, uh, tried to seal every place from which light got in the house and, and tried to make it as dark as, as possible. And then we gave the, the goggles a go. And I did see in the dark, <laughs> but it took me two minutes to realize how awful they were. Because like the front of the goggles was basically this plastic sheet that went over your eyes and and that was colored green, like green transparent plastic. <laughs> it, like, it makes everything appear green. But then on the side of each of your eyes, there was this mounted flashlight. So basically, it was just <laughs> flashlights. So it's just a flashlight in a green yep. shade. Green piece of plastic. Yeah, the, exactly. The science. <laughs> so, oh, man, that is disappointing. Yeah, I totally expected it to be kind of a spy tool that I could use. I expected it to only let me see in the dark, but (laughs) eventually everyone could see in the dark and I saw everything in green. (laughs) So (laughs) so it was really dumb, really disappointing. I never played with it again. Like a hand-mounted flashlight is a cool gift, not exactly a toy, but I would have appreciated it for, for what it is. And these goggles got my expectations so high and then disappointed me so bad. They made me feel so dumb. Oh, man. <laughs> That's harsh. Yep. 
<laughs> and I'd never trusted goggles again. <laughs> so I, I'll say about myself that, like, I, I don't collect toys. I don't think I have any toy now. But, you know, since I started college, I think, I, I kind of became interested in, in video games and stuff. And these have a lot of collectibles. So, like, I can see myself starting collecting toys, even though that was never really my thing. Like... Do you guys know those Nintendo Amiibo dolls? Uh, no. They're like, I don't know, maybe three inch tall, and they have a bunch of them for, like, different Nintendo characters. And they also have this functionality that they have these NFC chips in the bottom, and you can scan these chips. And oh, cool. if you're scanning the um, Link toy from Zelda when you're playing Skyrim, then you get this Zelda sword in the game. And you can scan these in all kinds of games oh, and get yeah, and you get all these costumes for your characters and stuff. So I don't have any Nintendo console, so I, I can't use the functionality, but these are really, really cute. Like there's a cool Charizard one. Um, there's an amazing Solaire from Dark Souls, which is a game I really love, and there's a cute Yoshi. I would really love having them and just to display them, you know? Cool. Yeah. When you guys see that typical, this, you know, the, the nerdy, geeky sort of comic book basement look where someone will have sort of like a big row of comics and then they'll have like lots of figurines, usually in like a glass case and then like a few comic book posters and stuff like that. Yeah. Like, what, what are your thoughts? Like, is that just like a massive waste or is that like, because my thoughts... My thoughts of that is that, yeah, it's just something about how fictional they are. Like, it, for instance, if someone has, like, a bunch of sort of music posters and, like, albums and vinyls and stuff, that's good. That seems cool. And there's, But there's something that's, like, more serious about that. Like, when, you, when it's just figurines, there's something that's just so trivial and so sort of... Not amateur. Like, it's just, it's just such an odd thing but it actually kind of calms me down a little bit like just having something there that's not in the real world yeah i don't know i don't know when i found out that video games can sometimes affect me and excite me as music does as as movies do then then it became cooler to me you know because like there are characters that i love to have displayed in my home now that when i was younger maybe i i used to think they were really geeky and shallow but no i think that yeah. i think it's cool i think for a lot of people i think toys form this little bit of um psychological like safety like they're just if you're in a room with a computer and stuff and but you have a lots of it's colorful figurines and they're all from comic books they're not from any serious movies and stuff they're all just like yoshis and um pokemons and stuff like that it it's it, it it's hard to be stressed in that environment, like because you look around <laughs> and everything just looks so ridiculous. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It does calm me down a little bit. Like it's it's hard to persevere with any sort of serious emotion when you're surrounded by <laughs> all that, um, all those figurines. Yeah, it's really soothing. <laughs> all the colors and the the, the big eyes, <laughs> cute characters. <laughs> Yeah, it just cuts through the tension. <laughs> Either that you know? or being incredibly creepy. Like it, it depends. It depends on like the, <laughs> those, the actual figurines and the actual place and the actual person, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. The last few apartments I lived in, I used to have like my area is always 
white and I don't have any decorations or anything. I, I'm mostly about the practicality of things, maybe. I always put a lot of work and time into making sure that I'm comfortable. Like, I told you this, but I'm sitting between three desks now. <laughs> so <laughs> I have a lot of room for, for things, but I don't have any drawings or posters or dolls or anything. But I'm starting to think that maybe I should have some, just for the calming effect that you mentioned. Oh, I don't know if this counts um, as a... Uh, yeah, I guess it's a toy. It's definitely a toy. But I have Jimmy Page's double neck guitar in like miniature form mm-hmm. on a little miniature guitar stand on my desk at That's work. actually really and cool. So it's got like it's got like strings and like all the like writing and the design something like that. I just put it in the in between my two monitors and it's actually like no I I wouldn't say soothing but I just say like it's just a cool thing to have. Right. Hey, it reminds me of your favorite band. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. Yeah. It's a good talking point. Yeah. I I definitely pick it up and do the stairway to heaven <laughs> solo every time every, I do. Every day. Yeah. yeah. I just wanted to join in, so yeah. Just wanna keep listening to Peter. Yeah, you gotta finish it, Peter. You bring it home. Bring it home. It's an amazing song. Yeah, that is a good song. Yeah, I've I've listened to it too many times and it still works for me. I think I listened to it on the way home. Oh, really? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was listening to The Song Remains the same um, album, the live album, and this one came up. So, (laughs) good times. And bad times. (laughs) So, today we're discussing a Transformers comic series called The Last Stand of the Wreckers. It's a five-issue series released in 2010 by IDW Publishing. It was written by Nick Roche and James Roberts. I thought it would be helpful to quickly, you know, introduce the Transformers franchise history and then transition into the, the series itself. So the Transformers franchise started in 1984 uh, with a toy line, a TV show, and a comic series that had both a British and Japanese continuations. That Transformers is about giant robots that can transform into all kinds of vehicles. And within these Transformers, there are two main factions, which are the Autobots, which I think are the good guys. Yeah, they're they're the good guys. And the Decepticons, which are the bad guys. And I'm not well versed in Cybertron politics at all. But as far as I know, the Decepticons believe that uh, the Transformers are superior beings and that they should manifest destiny their way through the universe and basically take it for themselves. And the Autobots are more peaceful, accepting of other living beings, and I think that this is why they're fighting at all. Um, I think so, I'm not sure. So what's the distinction between Autobots and Wreckers? The Wreckers are uh, kind of a team of tough, daring Autobots fighters. Uh, the, the, the Wreckers is under the Autobot umbrella. They're, they're a team that is sent in when the chances of winning aren't great, and I think that one of the most known Wrecker mottos is, in the Wreckers, your first day is sometimes your last. In the beginning, the, the, the comics were a Marvel thing until the mid-90s or so, when they were discontinued. They were later picked up by Dreamwave in the early 2000s, but they went 
bankrupt, and in 2005, IDW picked up the license for the comics and started their own continuation of the story. And last stand of the records, the series we're talking about, is a miniseries within the IDW continuation, and it follows the battle in Garrus 9, which is a prison planet, and the battle is between the Wreckers and Overlord. And Overlord is a defected Decepticon general that took over the prison planet and turned it into kind of a torture planet. <laughs> and at first we think it's for his own kind of fun, and then we find out that he's actually trying to attract Megatron's attention and eventually fight him. I think Megatron is kind of the toughest, meanest Decepticon. So the Wreckers are sent into Garrus 9 on a mission to free the planet and find something called the Equitus, which we'll learn is a supercomputer that computes guilt, and it contains a bunch of information that should not fall into the wrong hands. And the story mainly follows Iron Fist, a weapons expert Autobot. He's known as a Wreckers fanboy. He wrote a lot of, of their history and he published it, and he usually doesn't take part in many battles, and he usually spends his time in the lab developing new weapons. And throughout the series, we'll learn how he came to join the Wreckers. Uh, we see how he's learning that being a Wrecker is not just about adventures and glory. And we'll learn about the ominous past of Springer, uh, which is the commander of the Wreckers, and Impactor, which is the former defamed commander of the team. And basically, these are the two main storylines. But there's a lot going on in this series, really. So... What do you guys think of Last Stand of the Wreckers? I read the first four issues, and then instead of reading the fifth, I sort of felt like the fifth was going to be like this big cataclysm of things. Mm. So I read the first four again, oh. and then I read the fifth. And I'm glad I did it that way, because the fifth was like, shit hit the fan in the fifth. <laughs> yeah. And it was good to sort of understand where everything <laughs> was. And the first read, I wasn't totally hooked into it. I was hooked in a little bit more towards the very end, maybe in the fourth issue a little bit more, but I don't know. I, I, I felt like firstly, it kind of assumed you had a little bit of knowledge about the Transformers universe. And I knew that Decepticons were relatively bad. You're not meant to sympathize with them too much. And I knew Autobots were relatively good, but I had no idea what Wreckers were. And I didn't really understand the connection between Megatron and Overlord. So I felt a little bit sort of like I left behind on the first rating. Mm. On the second rating, I sort of caught up and the stuff I didn't understand, I just didn't try to understand. I just, I sort of just accepted it as fact, mostly. Yeah. And I had a much better time on the second reading. And the fifth was, as I expected, was like really devastating and big. So overall, I had a good time. And I don't know if I, I would have had a better time if it was in a more simple comic that didn't introduce like as many sort of storylines and just kept it real bare bones. Or if I would have enjoyed this where there's more to digest, but maybe it's better for multiple reads but mm. it, it, it's definitely something i would i would recommend to people like if, if people are dissuaded against anything in the transformers universe um after watching some of the later movies because i know the quality drops quite drastically then i would say this is probably a good place if you're interested in transformers and want more i think this is actually um i feel pretty confident that you would enjoy it because it's got a bit of depth to it i 
completely agree with you, Peter. Maybe it's because I don't read a lot of comics, but I also got this vibe from the All-Star Superman that we had. It kind of assumes that you have previous knowledge of, of what's going on. And maybe that's that's like part of the strategy that you feel lost because there's so much going on and there's new terminology. And <laughs> it might sound silly, but it took me a while to even follow on the on the names. Because, yeah. Oh my God, like, yeah. All yeah. the Autobots' names are things and it's hard to understand if they're talking about a weapon or about themselves or about yeah. a planet or about, or about mm. another character. I think after a while I noticed that the names are in bold font. And that helped, but it took me a while as well. Yeah. Y- you sure? I'm definitely not sure. I think it was, but I'm not sure. They're talking about Pyro and and uh, Iron Fist and... Uh, Cup and Springer and... Yeah, and... Uh, Twin Twist and... <laughs> and uh, Terminator, not Terminator, Impactor and... <laughs> And Overlord, like I didn't, I didn't understand if like Overlord was his name or was it his position, his rank, yeah, or, yeah. Like he's an, he's the Overlord <laughs> of of things. Once I did figure out a bit what's going on, I I kind of enjoyed it. Definitely the drawings were, were good, and and the plot, which I guess we'll we'll talk about, was like it started a bit silly, and but then kind of like it got its direction. So I had a rough start. But I think all in all, I enjoyed it. One more negative to put on it. I found it very hard to actually pinpoint what Transformer was was what. Like, obviously, because they were not humans and, like, faces look a bit different and stuff. Like, they would be talking about someone and there'd be a sort of, like, a, a panel. And I wasn't sure if that was, like, their head or, like, their shoulder or something like that. Then there'd be the next slide and then someone would say something, and I had no idea if that was the same person in the old, and I'd be constantly comparing the panel to the previous panel, just to like, oh, yeah, that guy has something coming out of his head, so it could be him. <laughs> and then there were so many times that I did that with, sometimes even with Megatron, like the bad guy, and just some of the regular wreckers. So uh, that was kind of confusing. Yeah, I actually. totally agree. Hmm. Yeah. Like when I read it for the first time, I read it with a Transformers wiki open all the time, so I looked up everything. I wanted to Ooh, smart like, man. To, to know what I'm reading because there is this kind of a first step you're taking and it's kind of hard to realize who's who and what's what and everything like Barrio said. And it really slowed down the reading, but it was okay. I think you could do it like that or like my way was just to like, I have a look, I do a bit of panel gazing, yeah. but... I would sort of just like move on and just kind of get the vibe of the room and then I would get to the end and I'd just reread it yeah, if I needed yeah, to. Yeah, that's a but, good way to do it as so, well. Yeah, I can definitely see it your way, but like, I I don't know, maybe it's just different personality yeah. types or something like that. But I was just sort of like, ah, one, of, <laughs> one of the Autobots said it. <laughs> yeah, uh, but in the end, everything did make sense. Like... It yeah. does work as a standalone introduction to the series. It's slow at first, but it works. And I came with kind of mixed expectations to this, because like on the one hand, I heard Ross and Rob from the I Understood That Reference podcast talk about this series, and they really made me want to read it, and, and they gave me kind of high expectations. But on the other hand, just because it's a Transformers comic, I really didn't expect to enjoy this. You know, it just... I said it in the last episode, I never really thought that the Transformers could be anything more than shallow. And 
I think that my low expectations were a bit more prominent because I was really surprised at how much I enjoy this. I guess I never thought I would read or watch anything that is Transformers related and much less so something that is kind of deep and thought-provoking. And I'm not going to say that it was the deepest thing we've ever come across or the best thing we've ever done, but it was much more than I expected it to be. This comic had interesting and fairly deep characters, you know, and it was set in this kind of dark and dangerous time and place, and it was not shying away from making you connect with some of the characters and then killing them. And the the, the series, the five issues, felt packed, you know, compared to other comics I've read. The the amount felt super packed. Yeah. The amount of story in each issue was really amazing. Like these five issues felt dense and long and there was so much going on all the time. So many kind of little storylines and I love that. And like Peter said, the trouble I had with this series is the the aesthetic of the Transformers. Like it took me a lot of time in each panel to realize First, where their faces were, like who was talking or or where one giant robot ends and where another giant robot begins. It took me a while, like just to scan the panel and realize what's what. Yeah. And some of them had masks and some of them didn't. Yeah. That's, that yeah, was it also... was really confusing. Yeah. Just realizing which robot is which or if there's a couple of robots in the panel or just one, I... Really confusing. I'm sure some people that really love Transformers are going to, like, whack me over the head for this, but why can't we just keep a Transformer one color? You know? <laughs> like, there's so many that are, like, orange and green, and then there'll be another one that's, like, orange and, like, aqua green, and it's just like, why? <laughs> why do that to us, you know? And, <laughs> like, can't we have the Power Rangers version where there's you are yellow? <laughs> like, where... Like, if you, if you get inducted into the um, wreckers, they should just be like, so, what color do you want to be? You know, put your hand in, in the bucket, see what you get. And I know it's like, you could say, like, oh, well, what happens if these people came to the team and they were like, you know, already this color and it would be like, it's a fucking comic. <laughs> like, you know, like, like that doesn't exist. <laughs> there was no, you wrote the comic right in the line. <laughs> <laughs> I, I agree with you. Like, the, it, it would have been easier if there were one color. But actually, I have to say that the purple and orange of Impactor works so well <laughs> together. It, it, I thought it was yeah, beautiful. Yeah, that's what I was thinking of. Uh, after a while, I started finding traits or clues on each character that would tell me who each was. But it was a yeah. bit tough. And I'm I'm sure it's partly, it's on me as a new reader. Because I don't know, I, I, I'm not going to say that the drawings weren't clear enough, you know? Like, I kept seeing on YouTube things about this series and everyone praised this book for how easy it was to distinguish between the robots. So I'm willing to say that the problem was with me. Well, here's an interesting fact. This five-issue series was published in 2010, am I right? Yep. And I think All-Star Superman was 2005 through to 2008. Yeah. So what do you guys think of, not the art just between them, but like one, did you like the art? excluding just the unrecognizability of the um, Transformers, because we can take a little bit of, like, leeway with that, because if we knew the universe, it might be different. But what did you guys think of just the art in general and maybe compared to the Superman comic? I said that I had some trouble with distinguishing between the characters and all, but that is not to say that the drawings were bad. Like, I I wouldn't say they were mind-blowing but every once in a while you'd get like this really dramatic scene or or a beautiful like big shot or or something and 
they were really well done. You know, like the best ones I think were we're when we're seeing like impactor and Springer yep. on Pova. Oh yeah. Uh, there's kind of a flashback there twice and one time Iron Fist is telling the story and it, he doesn't really know what's going on there. But when we're learning the truth, then the, the, the drawings are a bit different and a bit more, I think, darker. And yeah. we're learning what really happened there. And we know we learned that Impactor kind of lost it there. And he has this, this deadly look in his eyes and it's raining. And, and there's something about the, the, the gray and blue colors in the background. And Impactor's purple and orange that really work together. And then the best drawing in the series, uh, the, the one after Impactor has killed all the... I think they're Squadron X or whatever it is. And he's standing over their bodies, gun still smoking, covered with coolant or Transformers blood or whatever it is. Hmm. And it takes an entire page and it's just beautiful. That is my favorite, yeah. I bet it's the most iconic image from this series. Yeah, definitely. I thought the art was good. I'm still putting the 2005 All-Star Superman ahead of this. I I, I just like the art a bit better. In fact, I feel like this art is... On the generic direction, like it's very sort of, I, I don't know how to say it, but I feel like the vast majority of comics, like there's sort of like, there's different styles where some people prefer a bit more wavy, like an impressional sort of traditional like painting sort of art. And then there's mm. a lot ones which are really like jagged. I think Jim Lee does quite a lot of them and they're quite popular nowadays where there's just detail, 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 and it's just... Um, a lot of jagged lines, a lot of like hair that looks like it's ha- has gel in it, mm. the light refractions and stuff. And then there's this where it's like there's not much light refractions, but it still sort of has this what I call a jagged look. There's a lot of color coming at you, not not true to life, but it it, it sort of looks like what a two D image of like a of like a action movie, you know. Mm. Whereas yeah. whereas All Star Superman felt a little bit more like. More impressional, like the difference between Clark Kent when he was sort of a little bit more rotund, a little, little bit out of shape, and then he would sort of suck in or something to, to become <laughs> Superman. You could see his eyes were sort of a little bit dazed and stuff like that. It was all very, not rushed, but it was just, it was just like, so the reader got the gist of the, of the feeling of it. Mm. Whereas this one, it didn't feel like it had any feeling. It felt like it was sort of a bit more monotone. It felt very sort of like an omniscient sort of drawing. Like, it, it just felt like a representation of what was there, you know, like almost mm. as if like you took a photo and then tried to make it look a bit interesting. That's kind of what it felt like to me. I, I, those thoughts are a little bit jangled up, but that's my general general thoughts. I still, I still enjoyed it, though. I think it was a very interesting choice to put... What's the girl's name again? <laughs> I keep forgetting. Verity. Verity, Verity, yeah. So it's. I think it was a good call to put her in because definitely she didn't do anything with the plot. She's completely redundant and and everything. Almost nothing. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. I think it could be pretty much the same. But it was very interesting to see like the drawing of something human in this robot's world. It kind of also emphasized how vulnerable she is and that's a big part of the Autobots narrative right from what you described earlier you know so I it was definitely a good choice to, to put her in I wish she did had something more concrete to the plot but it was interesting to to once in a while see how a human would look like in, in that scenario and the fact that she also dresses up in those in that robot suit 
also yeah, she has this mech suit or something yeah also like you feel like this is this is how i would feel right if if i was there hmm. so gives you like an anchor point to like what a exactly. human would would sort of be like you know she has a role kind of in the end she's writing iron fist story after iron fist get uh, that uh, akita computer all the data from the equitas yeah equitas yeah uh, then he says, like, I know everything and everything is a lie. And she says, it doesn't matter. Uh, we need to go on. And then she says, oh, wait, it does matter. Can you tell us about Impact Turn? <laughs> yeah, that was her plot point. That was, like, the reason she was in the book. Just to be like, yeah, I was just kidding back there. Anyway, what's the gossip? Yeah. <laughs> Do you think every Transformers book has, like, a human for scale? Like, is it something regular with these books? <laughs> probably, probably. Yeah. Maybe that's why she didn't die. She needs to be in the next book. <laughs> So, there were a few storylines, and I, I really like them. Like, there's the way that Iron Fist learns about, like, how the Wreckers really are and what they do. And, and there's uh, Impactor's stuff on Pova, and there's all the information stored on Equitas and how the Autobots deal with it. And I really like it. I really like how each of the story kind of builds up. On my second read, I've read it twice. So on my second read, I kind of noticed how they've planted clues for, for a lot of stuff that would be revealed later. And it was really fun to, to see it. And all of these storylines were packed in five 24 pages issues. So there's not a lot of space and time to build up these stories. And like, sure enough, almost everything in this book is used to build up something. And my favorite example was the story of Iron Fist. Kind of, I think he's the main character in this book, right? Yeah. Uh, yes, I would say so. So we learn fairly early on that, that Iron Fist is a weapons expert. And he developed a weapon that kind of targets robo-brains and kills them. We see how effective these are when the Wreckers first use them. And then throughout the story, we learn about Iron Fist that... You know, he, he had some kind of accident in the lab when he developed these weapons. And we see that he has some kind of scar from an injury on the side of his head. And we also learn that he's there in kind of weird circumstances, like the other rookies were voted in, but he was chosen by the high command or whatever. And then we see everything come together uh, at the last few pages where Iron Fist dies of a mechanical aneurysm because the prototype version of his brain bullet has gone wrong and... He had one stuck in his head. It was slowly inching toward his brains. And, you know, he knew his days were numbered. He had a chance to join the Wreckers. Prowl, one of the commanders, as he's seen Iron Fist publishing about the history of the Wreckers. And he knew that he was a weapons expert. And he also knew about the accident. So he let Iron Fist join the mission. And the whole storyline builds up really well. And it's really interesting. I think, okay, so we have, what are we going to say? We have Iron Fist, Physitron. Then you sort of have the Overlord Megatron, which is interesting because Megatron never really shows up. It's just, it's it's sort of all in Overlord's head, you know, like he's yeah. just trying to, he has daddy issues basically is how to sum yeah. up. And, <laughs> and then you have sort of the Impactor and Springer thing, which I thought was probably the most interesting, maybe. I thought and, so too. And then there's like this little thing with Twin Twist and his twin, um, it's Top Spin, right? Yeah. That one is sort of like introduced a little bit, like how there's sort of like a brotherly relationship because I believe Top Spin only went into the Wreckers to sort of look out for Twin Twist. Yeah, something about a production defect. Yeah. That kind of connects it them together. It happens to two in a million. Yeah. 
yeah. And that one felt a little bit rushed because there's only five issues and they had about five storylines almost. It just felt like maybe they should have like just cut that out completely and just used them as just standard wreckers. And then there's also the tiny little bit of um, Pyro. Uh, he's the one who goes on the suicide mission. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, he felt like such a dick to me in the original. <laughs> so, basically, he doesn't want to give himself up when they confront themselves with Equitus and they realize someone has to give themselves up. And he's like, no, nah, I'm not doing that. I'm going out in a blaze of glory and I'm going to, you know, think. And then, like, three minutes later, they're like, oh, there's people at the door and we, we need- Someone has to buy us some basically, time. Basically, you need to kill yourself, Pyro. And he's like, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> yeah. In, yeah. In fact, they didn't even mention it. He's just He was just so keen to- to do it. So, I don't know. Maybe it felt bad or something like that, but... I really love that bit, actually. Like, it was really one of my favorite panels because, like, the others run away, right? And we see them kind of move on in the back of the panel and one of them says, <laughs> like, I'm sure we'll be able to give them a good fight, right? <laughs> and then in the front of the panel, oh, he... We see a bunch of Decepticons with wild kind of sick yeah. greens and they're tearing him apart. Yeah. Ugh, I loved it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, It was kind of a weird defense system for Equitus. Like, instead of mm. putting in the password, someone has to give his life. <laughs> yeah. Like, if you went alone, that would really suck. Yep. It's just to power <laughs> up. It's required energy, right? It's just to turn it on. Maybe, yeah. It was a very interesting storyline, the whole thing with Equitus, right? Because, like, it's a supercomputer that computes guilt and kind of determines your punishment, kind of, uh, instead of a trial. And he has a lot of information about Autobots that, like, you know, they were guilty of some things, but they weren't punished for them. So, like, if the information would get in, I don't know, Megatron's hands or something, then they would kind of basically have enough information to bring down the Autobots and basically win the war or something. I think what I got from it is, um, like you mentioned, the big chunk of the narrative is, you know, how... How Iron Fist or Fist, Fistitron or whatever, Fistitron, uh, Fistitron, um, like he documented the the chronicles of the of the records, right? And it's very, very popular. Yeah, like they're they're heroes and everyone looks up to them, and and that's like a big motivational boost. And and Impactor's in jail, and you think it's because like he did something that is questionable but morally good, so so the legend persists, and. Like, you see what happens to Iron Fist once he figures out it's not true. Not only that it's not true, like, Impactor is probably a horrible Autobot. He became right? obsessed with hunting down Decepticons. Yeah, and, and what brings Autobots together is kind of like the compassion side. That's the only thing that differentiates them mm. from the Decepticons, mm. like other yeah. than the logo huh. on their chest or something, because they, <laughs> yeah. they look they look pretty much the same. Like you don't have like they don't like I always thought that Decepticons look evil, but this comic showed me that that no, like they all they all look the same. They just pick sides. Yeah, and like you see the crisis that Iron Fist that, that actually wrote all the Chronicles kind of kind of like goes through once he realizes that everything is false and those great wreckers aren't that great and they're actually pretty horrible. At least their leader is. So I think at the end, like, they were really afraid of that information and, and, and that's that's the most interesting thing, for my opinion, because it kind of finished with a tone that we're not really sure if the Autobots are really better 
than the Decepticons, right? Because obviously they had a lot of crimes in their back, and they're and they're afraid of what's going to do with the morale. Because if this will fall into Decepticon hands, and they can show the universe and and all the Autobots that all of them are monsters, then that kind of like makes all the ideas behind what they're fighting for kind of crash. Yeah, it's not black and white. It's not that the yeah. Autobots are good and the Decepticons are bad. And that's when characters are a bit deeper or a bit more interesting, when they're gray, where they're somewhere in the middle. Like, no one here is perfect. And, like, Iron Fist really deals with it. He really looked up to the Wreckers and he finds out that they're they're not perfect. They're not just good. They're not just heroes. They're... There's a lot more to to them than that. I felt yeah. like there was some there was like this weird lore within the comic L O R E. They keep talking up Optimus Prime. Like there's no panel with him, but everyone's like, "Oh yeah, I saw him once." Or I talked to him and he didn't even get my name right, you know? Like Yeah. Just he's just got such like just the name. I don't even care about this guy, but like he just felt like, "Oh wow, he's mentioned again," you know? Mm. I don't know. It was, it was weird. I think like that is a sign of them setting up something else because it definitely like it put in perspective just that was put in perspective that um this story wasn't like the 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 center of gravity so to speak of the transformers universe like there's a lot of other stuff going on yeah and like the records are more like this swat team with like a high turnover you know like they come in when it's like dire like they they're not the the infantry that go out to fight regular wars they're like the ones where when stuff goes wrong and it's like it, it's a 50 50 shot then they send those people in and naturally like it's not clock in clock out it's every mission could be your last and i don't know it was weird because it was it felt like you were watching like a niche part of the universe you know but it still felt like important somehow you know i i totally agree and i that made me think about kind of what i want to have with star wars you know i, I they keep making star wars movies and they're all about the same group of people and i kind of just want them to expand and just tell me other stories in that universe. And I think that the last 10 of the records is a good example of how to do it. Like, it's not the main plot. It's not Optimus Prime and Megatron again. You barely see them or barely even hear about them, but it's just a good story in the universe that people like. Yeah. But then you got, like, Rogue One, which is kind of... It's different characters, but it's it's the, the beginning of the exact same story. It's the starting point. And also, I don't remember any, any of those characters at all. Well, the... <laughs> Rogue One, I think, was my favorite, so. I'm not going <laughs> to yeah, defend it too you're, much. You're weird about that, Peter. <laughs> it, it just felt like, because I've, I've always felt a little bit locked out of the Star Wars universe. So this was like, oh, yeah, like, no one else knows this story. Or, like, at least, you know, I got on it pretty much, like, a, within mm. the first 12 months it aired. So I felt like a little bit more, I had a bit more ownership over it. Maybe that's why. So I think Nick Roche, the guy who wrote, like, this series... He used to write Transformers fan fiction when he was younger, you know? I think that's how he got to writing Transformers books. Like, I heard he used to be a member of the British fan club of the Transformers. He did art for them for, you know, local Transformers conventions and stuff. And he became known for his art in the UK, but kind of nowhere else, really. And he approached Dreamwave, the guys who had the, the, the license before IDW for the Transformers comics. He approached them with his art, but they never answered him. Like, they never really... Ooh. Yeah. I'm getting I'm, be- I'm getting um, Overlord vibes. 
<laughs> and then when IDW got the license for the comics, a friend of Nick Roche sent them an email with kind of samples of his art. And 20 minutes later, they got an email back from one of the higher ups in IDW. And he started doing art for IDW and eventually he started writing for them as well. And as much as I've read about him, his writing is known for tackling more adult concepts, for not shying away from violence, and for including a lot of obscure characters. I think he later wrote two other miniseries for IDW, which are sequels to The Last Send of the Wreckers. Uh, they're called Sins of the Wreckers in 2015 and Requiem of the Wreckers in 2018. I think it could be interesting to, to maybe read those or... I check other stuff by Nick Rose because I think the storytelling here is really, really good. I do think it was good because they, if you count, say, the Megatron and Overlord story, the Physitron story, the Springer and... Uh, see, it's hard to remember the names even now. Impactor. Impactor and the twins. And then even if I put in Pyro's Sacrificial thing as well, that's five. There's a lot going on. That's five things and there was five issues. I feel like if they spread it over six or seven issues and they just had a little bit more breathing room, hmm. I felt like just for their sake, just for the writer's sake, because they had to do so much to integrate them, you know, they could have had a little bit more space between them, a little bit more time to sort of get to know yeah. the characters and stuff. Um, it might have benefited or maybe it wouldn't have. I don't know. Maybe there's something nice about it all fitting in in such a compact way. But I, I, I certainly have like intellectual respect for them putting all this info in. It felt like a textbook that had so much um, so much um, information. I think most of these could hold up as like a main storyline in a movie. You know, it these could. are totally things could. that you could really expand and, and really go deep with. It's it's really impressive. And I I, I said it earlier, I think the they were all built really well. Like they build up nicely and they there, there's a lot of clues and a lot of foreshadowing and it's it's just done really well. In fact, there's a there's movies which are set over just like one battle, you know, like yeah. not over weeks or months, like just one big battle. Like you have like the calm before the storm, you have the conversations, then you have them flying in, you have it where it goes south, and then you have just a long half an hour, 45 minute scene of just mid battle. That could be an awesome, awesome movie, I reckon. Exactly. You can take just Iron Fist's story and make a movie out of that, or just the story on Pova with Impactor and Springer and do a movie on that. It's it's really interesting, the whole thing. Or maybe uh, something about the, the, the Equitas storyline. I don't know. It's I, I thought it was really impressive. Mm, yeah, I agree. But, you know, one thing I expected to see and enjoy more with these books, like prior to reading these, I expected to, to see more transforming <laughs> you know more oh my god yeah i don't know how i didn't mention this <laughs> like i thought they were i thought they were all cars <laughs> like like as in like because i i only knew like the first transformers movie where like bumblebee's a car right i thought they were all cars and then like one guy's like this apache helicopter <laughs> you know like it's just totally like way more it's like staying on the google and and just Wikipedia and stuff, and then switching to, like, the dark web. Like, all the rules just go out the window. <laughs> and, yeah, it, it, but it was annoying. We didn't get, like, a cool Iron Man-looking sort of Transformer scene, you know? <laughs> no, but, like, I expected to see robots transforming every other page because, like, yeah. you know, from my experience with Transformers, that's kind of 
what they do. But like, I think Overlord turned into a fighter jet once or twice and Springer turned into a helicopter once. And I think Cup turned into a driller once, yeah. but that's basically <laughs> it. Like, I th- that's not a bad thing that they didn't transform all the time. Like the fact that they can transform doesn't mean they have to. Like the yeah. fact that they don't heavily lean on that, but they lean on a good story instead is great. I know it's just probably the only thing I knew about the Transformers before reading this. So I wanted yeah. to see it take place. Like, I don't even know what Iron Fist transforms into. Similar to your toy when yeah. you were a kid, <laughs> you will never know. There's there's a part where uh, the girl, again, I forgot her name. Verdi. Um, <laughs> Verdi, thank you. Uh, that she rides on, I think, on top of him and, and they're, um, mm. they're driving towards some place. Yeah, there is there is a part, yeah. Yeah, I think that's like the only part where you see him as a as a vehicle. But you know, it's interesting because I, I never imagined that transforming will be such a small part of a Transformers comic book. Yeah, it's a, not exactly what I expected. <laughs> I, thought, I thought that this series was really good. And it kind of made me interested, like I spent a lot of time on Wikipedia and on YouTube, kind of learning about the history of the franchise and the lore of the Transformers, L-O-R-E, as Peter always says. (laughs) And I have to say, I didn't fall in love with it. Like, I think it's fairly simple, which is fitting to something that was created to sell toys, you know, And, and the story kind of came second. I didn't find myself too interested in getting into other Transformers stuff. And and I thought about it, and, you know, the things I liked about Last Stand of the Records is the things that, you know, don't rely on anything that is intrinsically Transformers. Like we said, they yeah. don't transform all the time and stuff. And I guess with when you have, you know, kind of standalone stories that are done by talented people, like when you don't force it to be connected to a bunch of other things in the universe, they can be really good stories on their own. This story could have been about anyone else, you know, like you could have swapped all the robots with people who use different tools or something like that, and it wouldn't have affected the story. I, I Again, I'm saying like that this series is really great, but not because of the Transformers, but just because Nick Rose and James Roberts crafted a good story. The relationships. Yeah, well, I, I, I agree. There are interesting relationships, especially Impactor and Springer, but like the, the rookies and how they look up to the records and Iron Fist and how he looks up to his heroes is is all really interesting. I totally yeah. agree. Like, I think that maybe out of all of the Transformers things, the stuff to check out is the IDW continuation, the, the, the things that came after Last End of the Records, because they might be more interesting than the earlier stuff. Cool. Interesting. So, Transformers Last Stand of the Records... To sum up my thoughts, I'll say that it's a dense sort of dense and relatively deep sort of um, short trade paperback comic book of something I've never delved into before. And I was surprised at pleasantly surprised at how smooth the storytelling was with so much um, ground to cover, so to speak. And there's some gripes, maybe some things to do with, like, identifying the, uh, which characters were which and sort of some of the art. But on, on the whole, like, the, the bare bones of a great story are there. And I think for people that are going to get into this um, universe, I think this is probably a good starting off point, similar to 
um, all-star Superman, there's there's a little bit that you might miss out on, but I don't think that's necessarily defeating. And it's, um, yeah, it, it was good fun. I, I enjoyed it. I mean, I, it was fun diving into this universe and, um, and have something that is uh, not just, well, a big part of it was blasts and, and action, but something that that is a bit a bit different. I enjoyed the drawings, even though it was confusing at times. It's it was it was fun. Like it's a fun experience, and it's something for someone who ha- is completely clueless about the Transformers universe. As it's a nice place to to start, even though. I'm not sure. I will continue, but it's a nice place to visit. I had a lot of fun with this uh, series. I really love the different storylines and the way they unfold over the five issues. I said it, I didn't expect this to be good just because of the Transformers logo on the book, but I was obviously wrong. And that being said, when I tried to get into the history and the lore of the franchise, like I said earlier, I didn't think it was too interesting. I might try to read other stuff from the IDW continuation or other stuff by Roche and Roberts. I don't Maybe that's a part of the Transformers history that will resonate with me. I'll add that the guys from Comic Book Keepers podcast told me um, over Twitter about the book called Transformers Exodus that is supposed to be about how Optimus Prime and Megatron used to be friends and how they became enemies and stuff. And they said it's that a sounds cool. yeah. They said it's a very good book, so I might give it a go. I think it's a book and not a comic, but I'm not sure about that. Just to summarize, Last Stand of the Wreckers to me was a really pleasant surprise. I had a lot of fun with it. So as we do at the end of each step of our quest, we're going to take a vote that will decide whether or not Last Stand of the Wreckers has a place in the Culture Quest Essentials Guide. We will each have a chance to persuade each other and state our case for or against Last Stand's induction to the Quag, and then we will vote with a gentlemanly tip of the hat for yay or an ominous stroke of the mustache for nay. And the vote must be unanimous in order for it to pass. So, my fellow adventurers, Let's have a vote. It's been fun. <laughs> like, for one who doesn't read a lot, a lot of comics, it's it's interesting. I'm not sure if it's a must. Like, it's it's not in the main... I wouldn't say it's a mainstream cultural asset. It's, it's an interesting experience, but... I don't feel like it's something that it's it's going to blow your mind or change your life. It is fun, though. It is fun. Um, I'll say that um, because it's a little bit sort of on the niche end, it it doesn't necessarily disqualify it. Definitely doesn't disqualify it. All, all that means that to, to, to sort of counteract that nicheness, it sort of needs to be sort of relatively flawless and um, just... Uh, Walking past that sticking point, uh, I'll say I had a lot of fun as well with it. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows how I'll vote? I'll say uh, it, it wasn't as childish and shallow as I expected it. Uh, quite the contrary. It was really, really deep, really, really fun experience. I was surprised at how, like, people who talk about this on YouTube or about the Transformers on Reddit and stuff like that, how passionate they are about this. Like, people are really into collecting the toys and collecting the comics and the movies and watching all the stuff and the TV shows. And there's a whole world here and people really love it. And to me, you know, I went back to the earlier parts of this franchise and 
my excitement that you know this book sparked in me kind of fizzled out but I don't know I'm still gonna give the IDW stuff a chance who wants to vote first maybe we should all do it in the same time I'll <laughs> 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 oh, oh, vote I, I can oh, see yeah. people who don't want to vote first okay so I had a lot of uh, as I said before this is a little bit niche so it really did have to sort of fly by without any real bigger complaints and just just because we did have some really sort of tangible complaints with um just just a little bit of sort of simple stuff like just the fundamentals of trying to like just see who said something or or who that was directed to um in conversation especially towards the start while they're all in the same room and also that it does chuck you a little bit in the deep end even if reading it again sort of clears it up i i I can't say it's like it's it's just like a real sort of flawless like final edition of something that i'm really sort of would be proud to kind of have in the quag so for that reason i've 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 gotta have an ominous stroke in the mustache unfortunately hmm this is something i would recommend to anyone who's interested in comics or storytelling or stuff like that but my heart says Stroke your mustache. I wouldn't want this to be someone's first comic. I, I, I don't know if I would say that. I, it, it might be a good first comic. I've grown a mustache this week just, just for this occasion. That's mean. He's um, <laughs> <is> mean. Yeah. <laughs> like, we can't put it with, with, as, with one of the greats, right? It's, exactly. It's yeah. something that, like, I, I, I do feel that it's something fun, but, but it's not like a cultural asset. Yeah, yeah. So this gets a unanimous stroke of the mustache from the three of us, but I think that all in all, we do feel positively towards it, right? Yes. Yeah, yes. yeah it was fun. Yeah, it was. It's not man on wire. <laughs> and, I, and I can now say that I read the Transformers comic book. I mean, yeah, it's... Yeah. This, this goes in the sort of the meditations bucket of, oh yeah, we do lots of diverse things here. You know, like yeah, Transformers exactly. comics, you know, haven't done the movies, but done the comics. Rolls off the tongue really nicely. We should never much. do the movies, please. Never no. do movies. Yeah, and I, I don't hear good things about them. <laughs> but as a, a three-stroker or a unanimous stroke winner or whatever you want to call it, this this is in the same uh, club as Flight of the Concords, Hunt for the Wilder People and Deja Vu. Uh, by Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young, so wow, it, it's in good company. Yeah, Deja Vu and yeah. Hunt and, and for the Man on Wire, obviously. Yeah, yeah, that would That's be like bad company. Yeah, <laughs> that is bad. But the fact that the the fact that Deja Vu and um, Man on Wire in, are in that same category is is alarming <laughs> to me. I tried to give Man on Wire uh, a tip of the hat, but you guys uh, blocked <laughs> and me. I refuted it. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, I just don't want people to think that we didn't like this, you know? But this is out. So, as people might know, I fought pretty hard to get pet sounds into the Quegg. And that was originally picked by Inon as, I think it was number two on Rolling Stone's top 500 albums of all time. Exactly. And... I was fiddling around on Rolling Stone at work and I was thinking, well, maybe I should pick something off the same list. So I went to type in Rolling Stone top 
albums, you know. And there was this other list, which was a top 100 of albums between or in between 2000 and 2009. So basically the 2000s. And I decided as I clicked on it, I'm just going to go for number one. I'm, whatever number one is, um, that's good enough for me. If it's good enough for them, it's good enough for me. And what came up was something that I hadn't heard of this album, but I've heard of the band. And it's Radiohead's Kid A. So, K-I-D-A. Uh, so, just a bit of background. Radiohead is something that I've always sort of... I've always looked at as sort of like a a heavyweight in sort of rock or, or music in general. It, it, they, they command a lot of respect and they have a big fan base, a little bit like Zeppelin, Nirvana, Beatles, you know, Pink Floyd. They're, they're sort of in this league where people will rank the albums and talk about the band members and post reunion concerts or something like that. You know, it, it's in that sort of group. So the, the Radiohead's biggest album is the um, OK Computer album, so I thought this might have been before that, but I look it up and it's actually, I think it's the one after that. So it, it, it's it, it's a few years after. And I think the gist that I got was this was them transitioning to a new sort of sound. So a, a, a slightly away from rock music into something more electronic. And look, I, I just thought um, Radiohead's probably one of the biggest gaps that I can... I can think of actually in, in, in music. And it's a little bit out of left field for me. I don't listen to much stuff later than the two thousands. And, and this is electronic, which is something else I don't really listen to. I, I couldn't name a band member before I, I clicked on it. So it, it just ticks all the boxes essentially for what the culture quest is. And hopefully maybe uh, if pet sounds doesn't get in, maybe we'll try the number one from the two thousands. So, Um, Yeah, so this one is actually from the year 2000 as well, so it's it's early on. When you said we're going to do a Radiohead album, I I, I was really excited. I never listened to them, really, and I have a few friends who do love them. Like, everyone I know who really got into the band really seems to love them. So I, I, I told people, like, oh, we're going to do a Radiohead album. So and, and a lot of people were really excited about that. And then they asked, which album? And I said, Kid A. And they all said... Oh, I don't really know that one. Mm. Really? Yeah, a lot of people who really love Radiohead don't really know this album. And a lot of people like also said, ah, you should have done OK Computer. And then I kind of looked into why. And like this one, Kid A, is, is where they really start trying to be more experimental and really try new things. And this album is supposed to be kind of kind of weird. But I'm excited for it. I think uh, I, I think in all music, uh, if you sort their discography by by user ratings, this one is the top one. Ooh. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe my friends don't really know the, this album really well. But out of all Radiohead listeners, this is considered to be the best one. Yeah. My my impression of Radiohead is kind of alternative rock kind of progressive rock, kind of interesting uh, rhythms. Maybe a bit experimental, but this album is supposed to be like all in all weird. Experimental, maybe a bit avant-garde, maybe. I don't know. Uh, I'm really looking forward to see what we think of this one. Well, yeah. I've got a, I've got a little bit of a... You know how like people in um, boxing matches sort of have that 
introductory, like, oh, this three-time heavyweight champion. And, <laughs> yeah, I've got a little bit of one of those if you want to hear it. Yeah, definitely. Okay. With producer Nigel Godrich, Tom York, guitarist Ed O'Brien, drummer Phil Selway, bassist Colin Greenwood, and guitarist Johnny Greenwood create an enigma of slippery electronics and elliptical angst sung by York in an often indecipherable croon. The result was the weirdest hit album of that year by a band poised to be the modern rock Beatles. Wow. Sounds cool, right? Yeah. yeah. Modern Beatles. That's high praise. Mm, I know. So I, I don't know. I think this is going to be kind of a weird one. Maybe this is an album that like a lot of things with this culture quest that we're doing is things that they deserve a fair go. You know, they deserve a few listens before you judge them. <laughs> we are like the um, equitous system. We just give like fair trial. <laughs> actually, I guess they give the percentage of guilt, but we just give them a fair trial. So, yeah. 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 I don't know. I think this is an album that will require a few listens before I can really say how it feels because I'm not expecting a lot of hooks. Yeah. I'm I'm pretty excited. I gotta say, I I as in none. I I always I got a lot of friends that love Radiohead, and I never got to list to really listen. So and starting with this, that's supposed to be interesting. Yeah, that's that's good. Maybe this isn't the the best entry point to Radiohead, but this is gonna be an interesting one anyway. Mm. Yeah. So thank you, Peter, and thank you, Barrio, for staying true to our goal. And thank you, the listeners at home, for helping us along the latest stage of our quest. We hope that you join us again next episode, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. See you guys. Bye. The Culture Quest Podcast is part of All the People Network. Visit our website at culturequestpodcast.com to contact us or see a list of our upcoming episodes. Follow us on Twitter at CQ underline podcast and tell your friends about us. Find out more information about All the People Network and the other podcasts it includes at allthepeoplenetwork.com. With so many podcasts out in the world, you have a plethora of options. Take a chance with Too Many Captains, a movie podcast. Mixing comedy with an academic look at film and Hollywood culture, this podcast is perfect for those looking for a fresh perspective. From deep dives into classic films to debates on digital streaming versus physical media and film discussions based on randomly chosen topics in our What Are We Talking About segments, there's something to satisfy all your movie podcast cravings. So if you're feeling lucky or feel the need for speed, grab your shaken martini or some fava beans and a nice Chianti and subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Play. For more content, visit amoviepodcast.com. Find us on Instagram at Too Many Captains Productions and on Twitter at It's a Film Podcast. Too Many Captains, the jolliest bunch of podcasters this side of the nuthouse.